Friday night. Uh, don't tell me, no, don't tell me your whole plans. I don't want to know everybody's plans. But I bet you, if you were like me, you were keeping track, weren't you? Yeah. You were wondering what was going on with the fire, right? I mean, we're living in the driest season we can remember. Anybody been thinking about that a little bit? And then you look up, Oak Meadows is on fire. We used to live in Oak Meadows, and so we're still in the text uh, thing. And we get this text saying uh, immediate evacuation, and uh, we live down in Glenwood now. But we started texting some friends in Oak Meadows. You, uh, do you know you're supposed to be evacuated? And uh, some of them were going, I didn't know that. So we felt like we did something, you know, helping them out. And uh, uh, <clears throat> texted Corey uh, Johnson. Corey's in the room today. Raise your hand up there, Corey. Uh, yeah, and uh, uh, Corey lives right up there. And I said, do you know you're supposed to be gone? Yeah, I know. It's right at my house. It's right, 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 at, right at my house right there. And uh, uh, so he wasn't going to send me a lot of information, but we connected later on it. It was right at his house. Check it out. There's this video that he sent walking out his front door. Okay, walking out the front door. And it's all black. Like about, what is that, 30 feet, 40 feet from your, your front door, the, the fire was. Uh, so he was basically ground zero. Guess that Heil uh, construction uh, crew basically saved his house. And uh, um, boy, the drama around being in a fire. We've been through this before. So if you've been around here a while, you remember uh, Storm King and Coal Seam and then some of these smaller ones. And so you know Panorama. Remember that one too up there? You remember it? If you live around here for long, we're all going to end up, well, I'm not going to say that like a prophecy. But you have to think about it, don't you? So I, was, I, was, I talked to Corey last night. What happened? What was it like? Well, we weren't home except for Amy was home. Amy was, uh, uh, that's Corey's wife, was uh, sick and in bed. And I guess the Heil Construction people came knocking on the door and said, you've got to get out of here. She grabbed the dog, hopped in the car, drove down the, the driveway to the cul-de-sac, getting ready to speed off, remembers that her 90-year-old neighbor is living alone in the house right next to them, right in the trees. And this is all, um, you know, very urgent. She goes, i got to go back. And she drives up into that neighborhood, goes, goes inside, can't, you got to leave. I can't. She, her, there's no power, and she's in an electric recliner. And so she can't get out. Amy uh, does a fireman's carry, puts her on her back, I guess, and carries her out, puts her in the car. They, they drive down. Corey somehow gets up before uh, they close the road off. Uh, and uh, uh, the sheriff's there. I guess the fire had moved a little bit. And uh, can we go into the house and get a few things? Yeah, but you got to go quick. And so uh, all the emergency trucks were in the way on the street. On their, on their driveway, so they walk in, and uh, what can you take? And I said, I asked them, what did you take? Well, we took a computer, passports, wallets, and we grabbed a teddy bear that means everything to our daughter. And then they, they got it. It's okay. And they, well, let me get to the point of that, and it'll all come out. And so there is a point to that. And so they get in the, in the car and drive off. And I ask them, how did you choose what you were going to get? What did you, how did you decide what you needed to have? Uh, what did you grab? Have you thought about this? 
Haven't you thought about this? My, my, all my uh, uh, fireman buddies, Rob Goodwin, uh, chief, he says, you have to have a go bag. And it's been on my list for uh, about nine months to put a go bag together. I guess I'll wait till after fire season or something. We haven't, but uh, how many have a go bag? You, dude, you gotta go, you're the only man. All right, oh, back there, you brought your go bag with. Sit down. Um, we didn't do it, but what did you put in the bag? It's interesting talking to Corey. What did you get? Well, what we're gonna need for what we're gonna be going through. Well, what did you think about all the stuff that you would lose? No, you know what? Actually, it felt kind of good, even though there's a lot of great stuff here. Oh, it can be replaced. It's not the priority. That you grab something that you need to go forward of how you're going to deal with what you're going to deal with going forward. That's how you decide what you need. That's what's in your go bag. We all got to put one of those together living here. I think you got to have some stuff in your go bag as a Jesus follower. And uh, what do you need to take with you to go forward? Well, we're in Acts, and I'm going to do the impossible today. I'm going to do six chapters of Acts. Daniel was in 21, and uh, I'll start reading, and we'll get done reading in about 35 minutes. That's how long it takes to read through these six chapters. But uh, I am going to end Acts today uh, and tell you this story that happens in these six chapters. And there's a bunch of cool themes from chapter 22 to chapter 28 that you need to go look at. But there's something that I think is in Paul's go-bag that you ought to have in your go-bag in that narrative, because it's all one narrative uh, of what is happening to Paul. We encountered Paul a number of months ago, right? And the book of Acts kind of just lands with this, uh, uh, the last chapters or the story about Paul, who quite frankly, uh, other than Jesus, is the most prolific and influential person in the New Testament. It has everything to do with the movement that you and I are sitting in right now. Uh, Paul, that's the story of Acts, the Acts of the Apostles, and what happened as a result. So we looked at Jesus for two years, made him the main thing. It's all about him. But we wanted to look about at what happened when Jesus went up, the Holy Spirit came down in us, the kingdom went forward, and the movement started to happen. And you and I, 2,000 years later, are sitting as a result of that movement taking off. And there's something in these last six chapters that I think are essential not only for Paul, but for you and I. Now what I want to do is I got to real quickly give you the timeline uh, of what happened. So I'm going to just kind of run through. I already did this at 8.30, so I know how bumpy it is. Uh, but uh, I want to get through what happened in these last chapters. Now, Paul has been on some missionary journeys. He's been moving around uh, establishing churches and ecclesias uh, and communities around uh, uh, Asia Minor. And uh, he's, it's, he needs to go back. He take, he's taking offerings back to Jerusalem where there are a lot of poor believers. That was last week when Daniel was talking about how Paul was dead to himself and alive to Christ. And that... Uh, uh, you can't kill me because I'm already living for him. If that's last week's message, he's in Jerusalem, ground zero. Well, that's what happens. He gets to Jerusalem, and sure enough, uh, he creates huge turmoil. They're trying to kill him. Uh, actually, they mob him, and their accusation is, and they're beating him up. Accusation is that he's cr created trouble all over the world for Jews. He's even brought Greeks into the temple. And if you know Paul, um, he would do that. So Paul then gives a defense um, to uh, all of these uh, uh, Jews that are trying to kill him. The, uh, the uh, Sadducees and the Pharisees are all together trying to do that. 
He gives a defense and he gives his testimony like he usually does. Guys, I followed, I followed the law perfectly. I was the guy who did the law perfectly. I even persecuted people. But then I was on this road to Damascus to go persecute people. And I encountered uh, Jesus. And, and Jesus says, go back into Damascus until I tell you what to do. And I got there and he told me that I was going to go reach the Gentiles. The Gentiles are basically everybody else. You got the Jews and everybody else. And you are going to go reach everybody else. He heard that from the beginning. And he's telling that story over. Every time he gets in a situation, he tells it over. Again. That, and, then, and then he turns and he speaks to the Jews, who he's making a, a, a case to, and talks about the resurrection. They start fighting amongst each other because half of them, Sadducees, don't believe in it. And the other half, uh, Pharisees do. And all this commotion is happening. And they start... The Romans are afraid that Paul is going to get beat up and killed. They rescue him. The soldiers go in the mob, pull him out. That's a little out of sequence, but you can go read it for yourself. I'm trying to move here. I've got experts on Paul, somebody with a master's degree in Paul back here. Try and preach this sermon with that. Grace. Give me some grace, sister. So he, they say uh, the Romans rescue him from being killed, and the commander says, Throw him in jail, flog him, and we'll do the trial tomorrow. And uh, they're getting ready to flog him. And he goes, is it legal for you to flog a Roman citizen? Because he was a Roman citizen. He was born a Roman citizen. Oh, no, it's not legal to do that. They tell the commander, he's a Roman citizen. Well, then he should be tried in a Roman court, not in that Jewish stuff there. Yes, exactly. As they're getting ready for the trial, he gets a message that night from God. This says, just as you have witnessed to Jerusalem, you will witness to Rome. Really specific thing he's told. And so, uh, the next day he's in trial, or actually, uh, I'm going to zoom and combine a few things. He's in this trial. Uh, he, uh, uh, they try and push him back to the Jews. He goes, no, I appeal to Caesar. He appeals to Caesar for his trial. I haven't done anything, but if I have, I'll go there. Um, and uh, uh, at this time, he's in Caesarea when that is said. And um, uh, uh, Festus, who was the governor at that time, says, well, if you've appealed to Caesar, then Caesar you will go. Caesar's in Rome. And uh, uh, he ends up staying here in the Caesarea place for two years, uh, waiting to go to plead his case up in Rome. They put him on a boat to go to Rome, finally. This boat uh, travels uh, along the shore of Asia Minor. Then they get on a different boat, a bigger boat, to go out, says sail into the open water, and then up to Rome. Paul says, I don't think we should do that, guys. It's the wrong season. It's going to be, you guys have all read this. It's going to be, uh, uh, be bad for us and bad for the boat and bad for the property. Uh, you're a stupid uh, uh, intellectual guy. You're not a sailor. We know about that, and they take off. Two weeks later, they are in this storm of all storms. Uh, the sailors are jumping out to wrap rope around the boat. It's a huge boat. Wrap rope around the boat so it doesn't come apart. Uh, it says, actually, that they didn't see the sun or the stars for 14 days. Uh, they were starting to lose hope. Uh, they started to throw the cargo off because uh, it was too heavy. And then they start taking all of the rigging off, and they throw that off. It's too heavy. Now they're just basically at the mercy of the storm. The guys have lost all hope. 
They haven't eaten anything. And Paul says, don't worry. Have something to eat. No one will lose a hair on their head. Everyone will live. Everybody's going to survive this. Okay? So they run aground on this island that they find. Uh, They think they're going to go into this port, but it runs in the ground because they don't have much control. The surf blows apart the boat, the back of the boat. It comes apart in pieces. The Roman soldiers go, why don't you, everybody jump in. If you can swim, go. Otherwise, find a piece of, of, of wood or the boat and make it to the shore if you can. Everybody makes it to the shore. This is all going to be important what I'm telling you in a minute. Everybody makes it to the shore. So now everybody's on the shore. All of the, there was 250 people on this boat. They're all on the shore. They're building a big bonfire. As Paul is uh, going to put some wood on the fire, he pulls a piece of wood out of this pile, and out comes this viper, this snake, and bites him on the arm, clinging to his arm. He shakes it off. All of the uh, uh, islanders on Malta, they think that he's being judged as a murderer or something, and so they're waiting for him to die because uh, God obviously made him get bit by that snake. And, uh, and then he doesn't die, so then they think he's a god. Okay, so I'm just giving you the timeline here. They are on this uh, island uh, for a number of uh, no, more months until the season is over, uh, the, the winter season, and they get on another boat that's been there for the winter, and they go to Rome. He makes it to Rome. And it says when he gets to Rome, he lives in a house and, uh, and that's where I want to pick this up. So I just gave you this really fast timeline. I needed you to just get, basically get the flow that Paul, over a course of what is about uh, three or four years, is uh, basically transported from Jerusalem, where he gave the testimony, all the way to Rome, where he had been given a word that he was supposed to go. And so then, the first thing he does when he gets to Rome, uh, in this house, is he gives an appeal to all the Jewish uh, not believers, but the Jews that were in Rome. Come to my house. A whole lot more show up than he thinks. And it says from morning until night, he tells them about the good news of the kingdom and about Jesus. And uh, it says that some of them believe. And then, uh, this is the last words he says. I made it all the way to 28 right there. Chapter 28. Um, it says uh, that Paul made this final statement. The Holy Spirit spoke the truth to your ancestors, you Jews, when he said through Isaiah the prophet, go to this people and say you will be ever hearing but never understanding. You will be ever seeing but never perceiving. For this people's heart has been calloused. These Jews, they hardly hear with their ears. They have closed their eyes. Otherwise they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. He gives this final appeal from, uh, appeal from uh, Isaiah to the believers there. Some respond, but not many. And it says in verse 28, Therefore, Paul says, I want you to know that God's salvation has been sent to the Gentiles, and they will listen. And that's all Paul says. That's, how you, that's, that's the end of, of what Paul says in Acts right there. But here's what's interesting, I think. What, I want, what popped for the, off the page for me over these chapters is that Paul heard something from God. First of all, he heard it on that road to Damascus. You're going to go reach everybody else. 
His whole life was oriented towards reaching everybody else. And then when he's in Jerusalem, he testifies after he's arrested to all of, all of the Jews. And then he gets this word uh, at, at night that says, from God, that says, you have testified to the Jews, to Jerusalem. Now you'll testify in Rome. Okay? So now everything that happens is framed by that, that word. As a matter of fact, uh, when he proclaims, I'm a Roman citizen, he wasn't trying to save his own skin. He had a word. You know what happens when uh, 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 there's a regime shift between this Festus guy to this Felix guy. Felix is the, back in Caesarea. He picks up the case, tries to get some, figure out what's going on with it, and determines that there's no reason that we should be holding him captive. There's nothing, no reason we should kill him. There's no reason that he should be in prison. But... Since he appealed to Caesar, we have to let him go to Caesar. He could have got away. Most people, when they're in jail or when they're in court, uh, you are pleading your case for your benefit. Usually so that you can get out. Not that so you can stay in. But when, when Paul has this opportunity to get away, get free, that's not the point. He had a word that guided what he was doing. When he's on the boat, and the boat is, is, is turning into shambles, and it's turning into chaos, and everybody on the boat is anxious, thinking they're going to die, Paul says, don't worry. Not a one of you is going to be hurt. Why? Because I'm going to Rome. And since we're all going together, it looks like you're going to make it too. When a snake comes out and bites him on the arm, what does he do? He flips it off. And it goes, why? Because snakes aren't bigger than the word that was given to him. The word is bigger than a snake. So he even interprets what's happening to him here. When he's talking to the Jews in Rome, that I just told you about, who aren't really listening, he's there where they will listen because that's the word that he was given. What is in Paul's go bag is a word from God. A word that has been given to him that guides him, helps him interpret the circumstance, that fills him with faith. How do you have faith to, to go to the next thing? You heard something from God. Matter of fact, it's from the word that the faith comes from. Whether it's his logos or his rhema, usually together, that's where faith comes from. So you see a guy who goes through this drama with a completely different perspective. That's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. Now, I don't believe that Paul's the only guy who gets words. Matter of fact, because it's a relationship with God, that's how it works. We all do. We all do. Now, I'll give you an example. Um, so, Doug Stewart, who's uh, not in the house today, last week, uh, his father passed away on Sunday, Father's Day. And some of you probably knew that, and some of you uh, have been praying for him. Uh, we certainly have. I called him, and I was talking to him about it. And um, his dad was 90, and about two weeks ago, he was struck with a nerve disorder, debilitating and um, paralyzing him. And, and he's starting to recover pretty quick, actually, but it was going to take months to have to learn his motor skills back. And it was, uh, but it was kind of a miraculous recovery. Uh, and then a week ago, two, well, so... He started to get better, and then um, he got pneumonia, and then it was just uh, a couple days until he passed away 
last week, last Sunday, and I was talking to him about this, and I asked him, how's your mom doing? How's your mom doing with all this? I mean, they've been married 65 years in August. Um, and so he goes, you know, she's really good. No, really good. She's, she's fine. What do you mean she's fine? Well, last Tuesday, in her normal everyday prayer time, I guess she's probably had that for more than decades, half centuries probably, every morning. She said, she came out of that prayer time before and he was getting better and said, I relinquish dad to the Lord. And she, the Lord had told, him, told her, showed her, given her an insight, something, because she was filled with peace. And uh, so in the moment, in that vigil, and if you've ever been in that vigil, there's, that's a hard thing. And uh, um, in that vigil, everybody's gathered around. Some neat things happen from a God perspective, but then he passed away. He told me that she uh, looked around the room, got up, and walked out. Whoa, she was pretty upset, huh? She wasn't upset at all. God had already told her about this. She had already released uh, him to the Lord, and this was a part of what God was doing. She had complete confidence that the Lord had her, had him, and had them. She got a word. How important was that word five days later? That's beautiful, actually. That's beautiful. God wants to speak to you. Now, I recognize some people are hearing from God all the time, and some of us not too often. I get that. Um, there are some people who seem like just firing all the time, and maybe they've got, maybe I don't know, they're more spiritual than me, probably, for cer- certain, but... So- I don't hear that much, but when I do, it's pretty significant, you know? But the thing about a relationship, if if, if you say, you know, it's not about a religion, it's relationship, Um, a relationship, the most basic thing of that is communication. The most basic thing is communication. Every religion prays. Did you know that? Every religion prays. Islamic people pray. Hindu people even pray. Everybody prays. Not too many hear. Because this is a relationship. God wants to speak to you. He's a speaking God. We live by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. That's part of it. I was asking God to show me. I actually give me a word about a word, Lord. And I'm walking um, uh, Tuesday uh, by my cabin, and I'm walking through this uh, aspen grove. And I and I and I think I hear pretty specifically. Pay attention to the flowers. A lot of times when God might be impressing me with something, it's off. It's not necessarily a direct you know, English in my language thing. It's more of an impression. Pay attention to the flowers. And so uh, I'm walking along, and I'm looking for flowers for a sec. And what do you see right now if you're out in the woods right now? You see, you see in particular, you see columbines, right? Now, that's taken from my phone. And i got to be honest with you, that's about the most beautiful thing I, I think I could have seen right there. You know, I mean, if you look at the detail of that, have you stopped? I know you have, right? How could you not stop and check them out? But if you start to notice something about columbine flowers, is that uh, there's not that many of them. They're kind of actually spread out. You actually have to go to places where they are. And then you'll see some, and then you've got to walk a ways to see some more. They're not like, because I was paying attention to the flowers, the next one, the dandelions. Dandelions, which was, was right where I was standing when I took a picture of the columbines, they're everywhere. You know what I mean? Matter of fact, dandelions are kind of something we don't want in our way. 
They're actually something that we don't want in our street or in our driveway, in our garden. God is not like dandelions, by the way, I don't think. He is not just doing a fire hose for you uh, where, you know, you, you, they're just turning into clutter. You've got to seek him, and you've got to find him. And when you do get a word from him, and you find it, it's something beautiful that you get to take in, right? I'm going to let you go over here for a sec. It's something that you take in, and then you move with that until you find it again. I think that's how a word works from him. It's something beautiful. You've encountered him. He's told you something. It's for you. It's not that easy. He kind of comes in season. Sometimes it's not there. Sometimes I'm waiting for it, and I have to go off the last thing he said, but it's relationship. I love that, by the way, because any good relationship is not 24-7. Yes, God is with you 24-7. He's with you 24-7, but he is not relating to you 24-7. Matter of fact, every relationship you have that's any good at all, there are times where you're on your own and times when you're connected, and God does that too. You ever wonder why God's not easily found? Because he's beautiful. Because when you do, you got something to hang on. There's a pursuit, because in a real relationship, it's pursuit. And then he'll tell you something, and it will give you what you need to interpret the circumstances that you're encountering, to, to understand why or how I'm going to be in this, because he said this. Even though everybody else is going, you could have got out. No, I'm going this way because I've heard from him. It's the most basic thing. I think it's absolutely insane that people think it's weird to hear from God. Do you know what's not normal? Is to not hear. The idea that there would be a church where nobody hears from God and that the, the churches that are like kind of crazy, kind of out there, are the people who say, hearing from God? Woo. Actually, it's not that way. It's the exact opposite. Normal is hearing. Not normal is religion. That, if that's a challenge to you, good. Go find some Columbine. Get out there. Now here's something else that is profound to me about Paul in this word. There's two more verses in the whole book. Here's, what, here's the two verses in how the book ends, okay? Verse 30. For two whole years Paul stayed there in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to see him. He proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. He, he stayed in his own rented house, show the verse before, he stayed in his own rented house for two years and welcomed everybody who came to him and told them about the kingdom of God and about Jesus. And that's the end of the book. I hope you're filled with a big question right now. I'm going to give it to you. What is the question? The question is, really? That's how the whole story ends? That is not how the story ends. We know that uh, after two years he's going to get arrested Again, and he is going to go before Caesar, and he's going to make his case in the forum, and he's going to be convicted, and he's going to be in a dungeon until he waits to get his head chopped off, and he gets his head chopped off. That's how, that's the, that's how it really happens. Why didn't you put it there? Okay, so you have this history of Luke, of all that's going to happen with Jesus, and then you go to Acts, which is all that's going to happen with the church and this movement and the Holy Spirit. The rest of the books are all interpreting how the Christian life works, theology and prophecy. That's what all the rest of the books of the Bible are. Most of them Paul wrote himself. And it ends with, you know what? 
he lived in his own rented house. Whoever came by, he talked about Jesus in the kingdom with boldness and without hindrance. End of story. Do you think maybe, maybe Luke was like, uh, oh, I've got I to gotta wrap this up. It's kind of gone too long. <laughs> you know, got to cut this short. I actually think um, it was very intentional. And the message in it is very intentional. Now, there was this movie that came out last Monday. Actually, it was in the movie theater, I think, in the, at uh, Christmas. But it just came out for sale Monday. I saw it on iTunes on Monday. Bought it right off. Uh, Paul, Apostle of Christ. So I picked that movie up uh, and, uh, or downloaded it and watched it. And it has this very scene right here where Luke and uh, Paul are walking along. And Luke turns to Paul and says, I know how the book will end. Paul says, really, how will you end it? And he quotes it exactly like it said. And, and then Paul says in the movie, you'll, you'll probably watch it, says in the movie, yeah, but what about the second arrest? What about before Nero in the forum? What about um, being condemned? What about the darkness of the cell? And Luke turns and goes, well, we started the book by Jesus telling his followers to go. And we end the book here. And I actually think uh, they're pretty insightful, the guys who made this movie. Pretty insightful that Luke was with Paul uh, during this time. I, I don't think, though, I think they got something wrong. I don't think Luke turned to Paul and told him how to end the book. I think Paul turned to Luke and told, Paul, and told Luke how to end the book. And that's very significant. Luke, I'd like it to end with this two-year period where I sat on the deck, welcomed whoever came, talked about Jesus without hindrance. You're telling me that the biggest guy in the Bible, the guy who wrote the most of the Bible, the most important guy, the smartest guy, had the most impact, the most influence, wants the book to end like this. That's so significant because Paul was given this word and he was changed by this word. Paul was the most arrogant person in the Bible, I think, maybe in general. And by the time you get to the end of the story, he doesn't want you to know about uh, and be focused on how big a deal he was. He wants you to be focused on what he was doing. That is so beautiful, by the way. That's like a little flower, by the way, but that you can look and go, oh, because why? What's more important that you get is not that Paul was a big deal and the kingdom went forward, that Paul was a humble guy sitting on his deck talking about Jesus to people, whoever, whoever God brought to him. Wonder who's coming today. I wonder, I wonder who's going to be here today. Some days maybe they were big deal people. Some days maybe they were not. And he's talked about the kingdom with them. What I think is profound about that is that in our, in our worldly system of things, we want bigger influence. I want a bigger crowd. We want a bigger church. We want a bigger system. We want to be on TV. We want all that so that we can get the message out. And the reality is the kingdom moves when you sit on your porch with a word from God, operating in his calling, talking to whoever God brought to you. That is profound because if it wasn't this way, you and I are going to have a hard time with Acts. If it ends up with a big deal, Paul, us normal people are going to have a hard time, aren't we? Us normal people are going to kind of be left out of this whole thing, and only the big deal people are the ones who are going to be a part of the kingdom. This, this book ends so simply to show the humility of Paul, 
to show the importance and simplicity of loving God and loving people as you move about in your calling and the word that you've gotten. Because he's operating in the word that he's gotten. It's just not um, in a big format. It's while whoever comes by. That's cool. And I think there's one other thing. The reason that Paul has the book ended this way. Because he wanted Jesus to be preeminent. If, if the story was about his martyrdom and the last thing he says to Nero, and uh, it doesn't even talk about the persecution that's going on for the whole church right there, being eaten by lions, all this terrible stuff is going on, Roman candles, I mean, terrible stuff is going on. It doesn't even talk about that. Why? Because what you and I need to understand, it's all about Jesus and it's all about the kingdom moving forward. And you and I are part of the movement in doing just the same thing. Getting a word from God, being changed by that word, and simply operating where you're at. And then it happens. I got a feeling, not sure, but kind of got a feeling, that if you were to go over Paul's house at that time, he would tell you about Jesus, and he would tell you about the kingdom, and then he'd get out maybe two glasses or one, and he would pour some wine, and he would get out some bread, and he would teach you about what this bread and what this cup means. I wonder how many times he had communion, maybe even with people who never even knew Jesus yet. Just the beauty of what it is that Jesus gave his body for you and, and spilled his blood for uh, the forgiveness of your sins. The good news of that. Would you take that with me? That's what Jesus says. Will you take that with me? Exactly. I, I, as you take communion today, this is, the, this is a simple challenge. As you take communion today, and you take the elements, thank him for the words you've gotten, and maybe ask him, is there anything you'd like to impress me with? Tell me. Or you're in a situation, I need something on this now, Lord. You get to do that. You get to ask for that. And, and, and take what Jesus has done and ask for a word it could change the trajectory of your whole life and the whole movement. That's pretty good news. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you are a God who speaks to your people and that you're with us and you desire to be a part of everything that we encounter and interpret it in a way that uh, is for your kingdom and that's good for us. And I pray that you speak to your people today uh, as we uh, fellowship around this table of, of uh, your broken body and your uh, blood, shed blood for us that you speak to us in this moment. We invite you to do that in Jesus' name. Amen.